Hello and welcome to Spotlight on Action, produced by the Healthcare Payment Learning and Action Network, commonly known as the LAN. I'm today's host, Aparna Higgins, LAN Senior Advisor and a Senior Policy Fellow at the Duke Margolis Center for Health Policy. The LAN is committed to transitioning more of our health system away from traditional fee-for-service medicine and towards value-based payments and alternative payment models or APMs. The LAN mobilizes payers, providers, purchasers, patients, product manufacturers, policymakers, and others in a shared mission to lower care costs, improve patient experiences and outcomes, reduce the barriers to APM participation, and promote shared accountability. Our Spotlight on Action series provides an opportunity to highlight the work of land members to effect positive change in our healthcare system, from leading APM adoption to addressing systemic disparities in both access and quality of care, land stakeholders are enthusiastic about improving the healthcare system for everyone. Today, I'm very fortunate to be speaking with Dr. Dora Hughes, CMMI's Chief Medical Officer and Purva Raval, CMMI's Chief Strategy Officer. Welcome to the podcast and it's great to be speaking with both of you today. I was wondering if you could start by just uh, telling us a little bit about your roles at uh, CMMI. Uh, Yes, uh, this is uh, Dory Hughes. I'm happy to start. Uh, As the Chief Medical Officer here at the CMS Innovation Center, I lead the center's work on health equity. I help to provide clinical and policy advice during model development and implementation. And I help to liaise with the Innovation Center's stakeholder community. Great, thank you. Porva? Hi, uh, Aparna, thank you uh, for your leadership with the LAN and the opportunity to speak to you all today. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at the Innovation Center, where I work with our leadership team, including Dora, to provide guidance on the execution of our strategy. And as many of you know, we had a new um, kind of strategic refresh that was released last fall. So looking forward to talking to you today. Right. Thank you. Well, speaking of the strategy refresh, um, we, we all know that the Innovation Center's strategy refresh really reaffirmed the importance of advanced primary care and accountable care models. And the center's goal is to have every Medicare fee-for-service beneficiary in an accountable care relationship by 2030. So given the strategy refresh, um, I was wondering if you could um, talk a little bit about how the center plans to approach specialty care in future model development to achieve the goals from the recent CMMI strategy refresh and the 2030 vision for accountable care. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to to start out here. Um, You know, I think we're really excited. We're a year into the strategy refresh. I think we're in a really great place where we've been able to lay a lot of groundwork uh, uh, for the new uh, strategic direction. And it's, we've been doing a lot of thinking about how we want to approach specialty care Uh, in our future models. And so I'll just take a step back and talk a little bit about our strategic objectives. And I think as I talk about them, it'll be clear how specialty care is is cross-cutting and we really have to have a a strong focus on specialty care in order to achieve these objectives. So last year, CMS set out a vision uh, to advance health equity, to expand coverage and improve health outcomes. And to support this vision, the Innovation Center launched its, as I said, strategic refresh in October of 2021. And we really led with five objectives. The first was to drive accountable care. The second was to advance health equity. The third is to support care innovations. The fourth is to address affordability. And the final objective is to partner to achieve system transformation where the land especially has been a critical partner. 
And so when you take a step back, you know, none of these objectives stand alone. They're really infused across all of our work and model development. So I'm going to talk about each one briefly, because I think that might help illustrate why and how we're taking a comprehensive approach to specialty care in our work at the Innovation Center. So it's not just an individual model, but how, how does this cut across all of our work and thinking? So I said, as I said, I'll start with uh, driving accountable care. And as part of our strategy refresh, as you said, Aparna, we set a bold goal to have our beneficiaries in longitudinal accountable care relationships by 2030, where providers are accountable for the quality and the total cost of their care. So when we take a step back, and we think about how beneficiaries might experience this. They're likely to experience accountable care relationships, mostly through advanced primary care or ACOs and accountable care organizations. And those entities are then expected to coordinate with or fully integrate hopefully with specialty care to deliver that whole person care. And so if we want beneficiaries to have their full range of needs met all the way from vaccines and preventive services to specialty care needs for uh, patients or beneficiaries with congestive heart failure or COPD, if we want all of those needs to be met, then primary and specialty care have to be working together to coordinate across that care journey. So really when we're talking about accountable care, it's really bringing primary and specialty care together. Our second objective is to advance health equity. We know that there are significant disparities in healthcare access and outcomes, especially among underserved populations. And so to advance equity, we have to test ways to increase access to high quality specialty care that then helps to improve uh, overall health outcomes and to close those disparities. The third objective, is, as I said, was to support care innovations. And here, this is actually an area where we've done a lot of discussion and speaking with, with members of the LAN. Here, we're really considering the role of data and other supports that can provide an increased access to high-quality specialty care and to enable that more integrated person-centered care delivery that I think we're all driving towards. Access to data that kind of enables communication across primary and specialty care, and that's available at the point of care is critical. And that's really some of the work that sits under that objective. And then our fourth objective is to address affordability and improving access. We know that improving access to high quality specialty care that patients receive at the right time and in the right place can help improve the over, overall affordability of care for, for, for individuals and families. And then the last objective is to partner to achieve system transformation. And as I said, the LAN is a really critical partner here and a piece of how we engage with stakeholders and also receive feedback on our direction and on our work. We've spoken a lot since the refresh was launched last October about how we have to partner with stakeholders and across CMS and our other federal partners to achieve that system transformation. And specialty care is a core part of our work because we can't transform the delivery of care and the care experiences and outcomes and health of our beneficiaries without it. So we're really excited to continue to partner with specialty providers and facilities as we've done, you know, with our bundled payment models, which many of you are familiar with, our ERSRD and other models, but also to build on that and create new partnerships and bring more specialty providers onto the value-based payment um, pathway. I guess if there's, you know, as we're starting out, if there's one thing I like to leave the audience with today, it's that we're taking a comprehensive approach to specialty care in our work at the Innovation Center. And it's really centered around the patient care journey. Well, thank you for that and for really connecting the, the objectives as it's laid out in the strategy refresh with the in what you're trying to achieve with uh, specialty care. Um, 
Is there anything else, Dora, you would like to add or talk about relative to the Innovation Center enhancing its focus on specialty care before I dive in and ask some more specific questions on this topic? No, I, I think perfect uh, covered it well. I, I, why don't we go ahead and just dive deep on this, on your specific questions? Sure, sounds great. Okay. Well, uh, so thank you, Porva, for really, um, you know, linking the, the objectives in this uh, strategy refresh with the focus on specialty care. Um, Dora, if I could turn to you and ask you, from your perspective, why is the Innovation Center enhancing its focus on specialty care, if you could speak to that? Sure. And I, I think certainly uh, Perbert touched on this a bit, but just to dive a little deeper, uh, we feel very strongly that building a health system that achieves equitable outcomes through high quality, affordable person-centered care will require addressing the full range of patients' needs, including their chronic disease, episodic or other specialized care needs, uh, many of which are provided by specialty physicians, such as orthopedic surgeons, cardiologists, both of these need to be fully addressed. At the same time, we know that over the last few decades, Medicare beneficiaries are facing both greater clinical and system complexity. Uh, data indicates that 29% of Medicare beneficiaries have two to three chronic conditions, 22% have four to five chronic conditions, and nearly 18% or one in five have six or more chronic conditions. At the same time, uh, as you well know, we are seeing an increase in fragmentation of care among beneficiaries in traditional Medicare. If we look between 2000 and 2019, the portion of beneficiaries seeing five or more physicians annually increased from 18 to 30%. And this complexity isn't just being experienced by beneficiaries, but also by primary care providers. The number of physicians need to coordinate with increased from 52 to 95 physicians from 2000 to 2019. That is an 83% increase. Now more than ever, patients need a health system that will coordinate both their primary and specialty care in order to improve their health and outcomes along a changing care journey. We also know that there are opportunities to impact healthcare spending as well. Specialty care plays a large role in overall medical, uh, medical spending. If we look between 20, 2002 and 2016, total annual healthcare spending increased by $806 billion, according to data from the Medical Expenditure Panel Survey, or what uh, many know as MEPS. Direct spending for specialists accounted for 18% while primary care accounted for only 4% of this increase. Further, research also shows that 75% of low value care or services that offer limited benefit to patients is neither provided by nor referred by the beneficiary's attributed primary care provider. Much of this is not under the direct control of the primary care provider. So we can't improve quality or reduce costs for people without designing models and tools that put beneficiary needs at the center of specialty care with the right incentives to support access and better outcomes. Great, thank you for that. And that was really great overview from both of you. I'd like to sort of dive into this topic a little bit you know, deeper. And, and start by asking, what elements do you think are critical uh, to better integration of specialty care into the future of APMs and broader delivery system reform? 
Aparna, that's a, a great question. I think it helps us really dive from the high level down to the details and ask ourselves, you know, how do we actually implement the vision, the objectives, and start to address the issues that Dora just laid out so that we can better integrate and support specialty care? And I think here there are four main elements or building blocks to, that are really important to integrating specialty care that, in a way that drives broader system transformation for patients. So I would say the first uh, is data. And I talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but we've heard from many land members and other stakeholders about the critical, and our, our model participants about the critical need for data to drive quality and integration. So, you know, for instance, primary care focused ACOs and advanced primary care models could use more information to make high value referrals to specialists. ACOs can also, could also use data to improve quality and cost for episodic care. And some could even benefit from help with subcontracts for certain conditions. So these are all avenues that uh, we're looking at and exploring and uh, would welcome feedback on as well. I think the second building block or critical element is uh, maintaining momentum with our acute care episodes. We know over the last decade that hospitals have transformed the way that they provide care because of episode-based payment models like our BPCIA and CJR models, with which, which many of you all are familiar with. And so we're actively exploring policy options for potential successor models for these two initiatives, uh, keeping in mind the evaluation results that we've seen through both of those initiatives, keeping in mind feedback from stakeholders um, on the importance of episodic models and bundled payments as part of a broader uh, value-based care portfolio. And then I think the third uh, building block is needing to uh, support our primary care models to engage specialists. So as I said, data is one component of this, but you know, we, we're hearing a lot from stakeholders and primary care focused ACOs and advanced primary care models, how challenging it is to reach past the point of referral for ambulatory conditions. And then on the other hand, we also hear from specialists about how they've been left out of models. And so we need to solve for both problems and bring specialists to the table. And so we're looking at different types of incentives and structures that could make that possible. And then fourth, uh, I think the fourth critical element or building block is better quality measurement across primary and specialty care. So we really want to try to identify new methods for measuring those quality outcomes that are specific to the care that specialists provide, which is often downstream from primary care. And so we know that assessing performance, specialist performance on primary care measures that they have less influence over is a real barrier um, to specialists joining or being integrated into ACOs. It's another area uh, of focus for us right now. Great. You've talked about uh, what the critical elements are. Um, I'd like to ask about what have been some of the key barriers in the past and how does the Innovation Center hope to address these challenges? Yeah, we spent a lot of time over the last year thinking about barriers because we can't really get to effective solutions and cross-cutting solutions without really understanding what the barriers are on the ground right now. Mm -hmm. Actually, last fall, our specialty team uh, did a pretty comprehensive review of some of the barriers and challenges. They conducted over 50 interviews. Some of you may um, be familiar with some of this work but they con uh, conducted over 50 interviews with health policy and payment experts, providers, and others to really understand those barriers to integrating specialty care into advanced primary care and ACOs. And you know the barriers and disincentives are really complex, but I'd point out three areas. The first I touched on just now is that you know data on specialist performance, 
and enhancing data sharing across practices would really facilitate better communication with primary care. So we need to explore how our models can support the sharing of those kinds of data, not just on specialist performance, but enhancing that data sharing across um, care settings and, and different, different types of providers. And then second, uh, we need to design episode-based payment models that better align those incentives between the specialists and the ACO initiatives. So looking to the future, episode-based models, they could be designed to support, they could be better designed to support population health by improving the quality of acute care, improving care transitions after episodic uh, care episodes, and then also facilitating, you know, how can we use those models to facilitate those accountable care relationships for, for beneficiaries. And the third I talked about a little bit as well in terms of areas of focus, but you know the barrier of the lack of quality measures that are really relevant and meaningful to specialty care. So we've actually developed a patient reported outcome measures or prom strategy that aims to measure what matters most to patients, you know, including um, dimensions, health related quality of life, symptoms of burden of disease, their care experience and, and other health behaviors. And so I think proms are gonna help us better assess how we are impacting more dimensions of the beneficiary experience and hopefully improving them. Uh, and this is also an area where we are working closely with our colleagues, our CMS colleagues at the Center for Medicare, at the Center for Medicaid and CHIP Services, and the Center on Clinical Standards and Quality. Uh, so really view this as an agency-wide effort to uh, improve measurement for, sp for specialists across our quality payment programs, from MIPS to, to MVPs to APMs, for all of you that understand the alphabet soup <laughs> of the quality payment programs at CMS. And so I'll just sum up by saying I think there, there are three big pieces here, data, incentives, and quality measures that are barriers that we have to address to better support uh, specialty care. Great. Um, I know you touched upon this in terms of the model CMMI had previously launched addressing specialty care models um, like BPC and BPCIA uh, and the success they've had in um, both containing or reducing episode costs while maintaining quality. Um, can you talk about how the evolution of ACOs and accountable care will either advance or coexist with these um, episodic payment models? Yeah, I think this is a really ex exciting time and it's an exciting challenge that we're facing at the Innovation Center to think about how to bring all of these different learnings and work streams together. As you all know, we've been testing our ACO and bundle payment models for over a decade and we've learned so much. And I think the health system and all the stakeholders have learned a great deal through these model tests about where and how transformation has occurred and where we can do better. And I think now we're at a point where we have to bring those learnings together to test innovations that help evolve primary care and episodic care and payment together, again, to improve beneficiary access outcomes in their care experience. And we just wanna keep recentering on that being the end goal of, of what we wanna achieve. You know, our testing of specialty care and bundled payment models, you know, we've generally, they've generally shown improvements in lowering expenditures and enhancing quality. Uh, Episode-based payment models like BIPSI you mentioned and the, the Bundle Payment for Care Improvement Initiative Advanced Model and our Comprehensive Care for Joint Replacement or CGR model have, you know, they've reduced Medicare fee-for-service payments for the majority of episodes in those models while at least maintaining quality for beneficiaries. And these model tests, we know, you know, at a high level, that's what those fi their findings are, but we know that they've supported care transformation in facilities across the country. And they've really helped laid the foundation for our next challenge to increase access to coordinated and integrated specialty care. 
subsidiary question, I don't think we can separate accountable care from episodic care. You know, from a beneficiary's perspective, as Dora had said earlier, they, they want their care delivered in a seamless, coordinated manner that's consistent with their goals and values. And so when we're thinking about equitable access to high quality episodic care, it's part of accountable care in that patient journey. So I can't really emphasize enough that that's the lens through which we're approaching model development in our work. You know, how do we support high quality specialty and primary care? And to illustrate this, I'll share uh, a patient vignette with you mm -hmm. and a beneficiary in one of our REACH ACOs. And I think it always helps to um, think about the, the patient journey and, and, and the needs from, you know, in the health system, like through the perspective of a patient. You know, and here we have an almost 70 year old um, African-American male beneficiary with multiple chronic conditions. So diabetes, heart, heart failure. He'd been experiencing multiple emergency department visits, for instance. So all of the things that we want to try to weigh, find a way to uh, get better and, um, you know, more coordinated care. So as part of his, uh, you know, part of being in this ACO, he started to receive monthly in-home visits with a dedicated nurse practitioner and a social worker. He was given a scale to monitor his weight and started to receive education on sort of appropriate use of the emergency department. And the outcomes that we found were, you know, better follow-up with the primary care provider, improved management of that of those chronic conditions, and a decrease in, in emergency department visits. And so, you know, that's how we want to start to be able to build models that can help support that kind of seamless and integrated uh, care delivery. Okay. Um, assuming the long-term goal is for ACOs to manage specialty care episodes, how can CMS help ACOs, you know, best prepare for that? Yeah, I think we've heard that higher levels of accountability can help ACOs, you know, move downstream to those specialty providers. So I think we're hoping to learn lessons from our ACO reach model here in particular. You know, in many of these cases where we have higher levels of uh, risk or accountability for ACOs, uh, CMS run bundles might, might be less necessary. But we know not all ACOs can assume that level of risk. And if anything, we, we want to, to create more and help spur the growth of ACOs across the country. Um, you know, in which case CMS could facilitate, you know, data analytic support for episode construction or other data aggregation tools to help manage those specialty care episodes. And I think this is also another place where we want to work with and hear more from our land partners and other stakeholders about what those needs are and how we can support them. Okay. Uh, we've talked a little bit about, um, obviously, the importance of, you know, uh, primary care and specifically advanced primary care and, and the Innovation Center Strategy Refresh really views advanced primary care along with accountable care models as central to driving um, growth in accountable care relationships with beneficiaries. So can you talk briefly about what constitutes advanced primary care and how CMMI and its models can foster more collaborative relationships between specialists and um, primary care practices? Sure, uh, and thank you, and that's such, a, such an important question. We touched on this a little bit earlier, but let's take a step back and remember what is the problem? Uh, about 70% of our Medicare beneficiaries have two or more chronic conditions. Mm -hmm. Nearly 20% have six or more chronic conditions. 30% of Medicare beneficiaries see five or more physicians annually and struggle to effectively manage the care. We also know that racial and ethnic groups and other high-risk populations are the most affected with worse health outcomes and reduced life expectancy. We feel very strongly uh, that primary care is part of the solution. Primary care plays a vital role in the healthcare system. 
or as stated more directly by the National Academies, high quality primary care is the foundation of the healthcare system. They state that without such care, minor health problems can spiral into chronic disease, chronic disease management becomes difficult and uncoordinated, preventable ED visits and hospitalizations increase, and healthcare spending soars. I love that quote. In one sentence, I think that fully captures the challenges uh, that we face with primary care and really helps to underscore the importance of our investment in these areas. Primary care is associated with improved quality, lower mortality, lower healthcare costs. And because of these reasons, the Innovation Center has tested a number of primary care models. We've tested comprehensive primary care, comprehensive primary care plus, and now primary care first or PCF. We've learned quite a bit through these models. And perhaps uh, most importantly, we've learned that primary care practices can indeed meaningfully change how they organize and deliver care. Our primary care models demonstrate that even practices with limited prior experience with value-based payment models can make needed changes to deliver advanced primary care. At the same time, we will acknowledge that the quality and total cost of care impacts uh, have often been modest, not significant, and certainly were challenging to detect within a five-year period of our models. And another issue with our primary care models, uh, certainly equity was not always an explicit aim, and Blacks and Latinos have been underrepresented in these earlier primary care models. So in terms of thinking about how to build upon what we've learned, how can we test how we can provide better support uh, so that advanced primary care capabilities uh, can be implemented and lead to higher quality, equity, and reduced costs. Now, as obviously we've heard from Purvis talked at length, uh, building stronger relationships between primary care and specialty care is a major area of focus for our thinking right now. We believe that an enhanced focus on specialty integration will require aligned payment and payment incentives, as well as quality measurement and data feedback to reduce burden and support practice transformation. So what specifically could this look like in model design? Uh, increasing specialist focus on ensuring value and appropriateness before scheduling a referral visit and closing the referral loop back to the primary care post-visit. Both of those would help to support accountability, shared risk, and team-based care. As another example, uh, and Pervert touched on this a bit, facilitating the flow of data, such as improving electronic consultation to efficiently access specialist expertise, to support co-management of patients through collaborative care arrangements or care compacts, and to confirm appropriateness of the referral. These are all very specific examples of how we think that we can better integrate primary and specialty care. And these are concepts we're exploring for our future work in this space. Um, so we touched upon this a little bit, but we're nearing the end of year two for primary care first. Um, what are you seeing in terms of early lessons learned? Yeah, you know, many of our primary care first participants seem to be focusing on uh, returning to basics. So by building relationships with their patients to improve care, which sounds kind of simple, <laughs> uh, but it's what allows that to happen are the steady and predictable population-based payments. That's what's allowing them, we're finding, to spend more time 
caring for patients in ways that are not generally reimbursable through the regular Medicare fee-for-service payment system. Uh, Among our first cohort of primary care first practices, we've also seen very strong performance on the model's three electronic clinical quality measures, or ECQMs, uh, their blood pressure control, diabetes control, and colorectal screening. Over 95, 97% of practices have scored better than the MIPS 30th percentile benchmark for each of the models, ECQMs in the first year of the model. So I think we're seeing that those population-based payments are really allowing a different kind of delivery of care, different kind of connection, hopefully with patients, and then um, early improvements in, in quality. Uh, now, you've both talked about, you know, the uh, importance of primary care and how it's a foundation and the relationship between the uh, primary care and the, and the beneficiary. But are there populations or types of care where it might be appropriate for specialty care providers to take a more central or coordinating role in a patient's care provision? Well, I can start there, and I don't know if uh, Perba may disagree with me. I, I will admit, as a primary care physician myself, I certainly might be more than a little bit biased in saying that primary care doctors should always serve an essential role in coordinating care for their patients. I'm just a big believer in patient-centered medical homes and similar type models. I think it is just so incredibly important for patients to have a provider who can look at a person's medical needs holistically from making sure they get a colonoscopy to make sure they get their annual flu shot to discussing prevention and wellness and not just focusing on the person's heart disease or or whatnot, whatever the condition may be. Um, But that being said, I certainly do understand that some medical conditions require intense medical management and aggressive treatment, uh, such as certain cancers or end-stage renal disease Uh, I acknowledge that in these cases, the specialists may need to play a more involved role for a certain period of time or even extended time. However, even in these cases, it is so important that the patient continue to see their primary care physician and that the specialists and primary care physicians stay well-connected. This coordination or co-management, whatever the term you might use, Uh, across types of care and settings of care. This is exactly what we're hoping to foster through uh, our next phase of accountable care models. So Perva, I will turn to you to see if you disagree with my statement to offer a different perspective, the non-medical perspective. Uh, I rarely, if ever, disagree with you, Dora. (laughs) (laughs) Not true, but okay. (laughs) All right. So I want to talk a little bit about, uh, both of you talked about some of the barriers to robust specialty participation, both in terms of, you know, uh, the availability of of data um, on specialty practice and outcomes, and also the limited availability of of quality measures for certain specialties. Um, Can you talk about what is the role of the Innovation Center in, in improving the availability of readily available, actionable utilization and quality data? Yeah, I'm happy to speak to this a little bit. You know, actionable data, and I think that's the key word that you used in, in your question, Aparna, actionable uh, data on specialist cost and quality performance. That, that was one of the things that was cited by many stakeholders and experts in the research that we had done about a year ago is really being needed to inform referrals of high clinical value. So without data to understand practice patterns and spending, uh, you know, some of the ACOs that our team spoke to noted that it was really hard to align 
or include specialists in the ACOs, especially if spending on specialty care was concentrated and, you know, a smaller subset of um, the beneficiaries that are aligned to the ACO. So in our research, referring clinicians, they also really reiterated the importance of data, again, on specialist performance on cost and quality of care. So I think that's a place where we're doing some exploring and, and, and would like to do some more thinking about our role and how we can support some of those data needs. And as many of you know, uh, CMS has developed episode-based cost measures um, or has started to, to evaluate specialist uh, performance with over 20 in the MIPS program now. Mm-hmm. So aggregating quality and cost data from Medicare, Medicaid, and multiple commercial payers could generate even more you know, reliable and meaningful specialist profiles that could then inform referrals of high clinical value and drive that broader health system transformation. So there are some building blocks here across the agency as well that, that we can be looking at. And then where uh, accountable entities can take on higher levels, uh, ACOs can take on higher levels of accountability for a broader range of specialty care. As I said earlier, you know, CMS run bundled payment models may not be as not may not be as necessary for those kinds of entities because they have the tools and the financial means and the influence to engage specialists and implement potentially bundles uh, directly. Uh, But the Innovation Center for those uh, ACOs that maybe don't have that uh, capability yet, um, perhaps the Innovation Center could facilitate data analytic support uh, for episode construction or other data aggregation tools that would facilitate better management of the the episodic care and better engagement uh, with specialists in a given market or region. Okay. Now, we've talked about actionable utilization and quality data, but there's also this issue around data sharing. Um, And can you talk about how the Innovation Center can facilitate and improve more robust data sharing among specialty providers and other facets of the healthcare system, particularly accountable care entities and primary care providers? Yeah, you know, I touched on this a little bit before, uh, so I'll be brief here, but I I think we can obviously do more to inform high quality specialty referrals. I think we can do more to provide data to ACOs to support better episodic care management. And then in our models, I think we can also look at ways to, um, you know, see how our model participants can be using and contributing to interoperable data exchanges that connect providers in a given region. I actually think the work that the LAN is doing here is really important, especially through the state transformation collaboratives. I think that's an important piece of the puzzle here as well. I think it, uh, the state transformation collaboratives, I think, will hopefully help us see how regional efforts can help harness, you know, this, both state and federal government capabilities, as well as private and nonprofit organizations, and the role of kind of har- harnessing those those data cap- capabilities to accelerate transformation. Okay, we've talked a little bit about quality measures, so I want to focus on that a little bit. Um, are there actions CMMI and or CMS can take or are taking to facilitate broader availability of relevant um, quality measures for specialty providers? And how can this work help to complement the proposed approach to specialty care? No, thank you, Pari. That is such a timely question. Uh, this is an intense area of focus uh, for us in the CMS Innovation Center and CMS uh, more generally uh, right now, actually. Um, taking a step back, the CMS, they hosted the Quality Summit in April of this year with leadership by our colleagues at and the Centers for Clinical Standards and Quality, or CCSQ. And then after that summit, uh, our Centers of Medicare colleagues and CCSQ together co-launched a quality working group to think about across the center if and how we could align measures, beginning first with the potential core group of adult measures, 
potentially to be followed by a core group of pediatric measures. And as the earliest steps is, uh, began to meet regularly, we first were like, well, what are the priorities for these quality measures? What are the principles for selecting what a core group of measures might be that all of the centers would try to use? Uh, we also had to understand the landscape of current measure use. Who's using what, when, and uh, where and how all of the centers have contributed um, to this knowledge uh, base. And we also had to figure out where are the gaps? Um, in some cases, do we need to create new measures or composite measures? Uh, and so collectively, we've kind of finished this first phase of thinking, if you will, and uh, are really now starting to, to put pen to paper really thinking concretely about what are what are the ideas um, uh, that uh, that we may move forward with uh, more um, in the in the coming weeks. Uh, I would also have to point out that of course equity is a cross-cutting priority for all the centers, whether assessed by specific measures or stratification strategies that all of us could adopt that would allow us to assess care for various demographic groups, whether defined by race and ethnicity, rurality, uh, disabled or by sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, there's a lot of, of uh, needed knowledge uh, for us uh, in terms of how care is provided, how we can measure the quality of such care for many of these groups that are underserved. Um, so, but back to the specialty care, Certainly, I just want to emphasize that specialty care is an important uh, part of this work uh, to uh, prioritize quality measures that can be used across the centers. Uh, I, I believe Professor earlier uh, acknowledged that we've heard quite a bit of criticism uh, from a number of stakeholders that the measures that we currently use often have little relevance for specialty providers. Uh, many of our measures are focusing on prevention or screening, for example, which are critically important, but perhaps not the best way to measure the quality of care from your urologist, as an example. So again, uh, we, uh, I love that we started off meeting monthly as part of the quality working group. Then it was like every other week. Now we're, <laughs> we're meeting every week because uh, there's just the, the level of enthusiasm uh, the need, uh, the excitement for what we can do in this space, again, aligned across the centers is, is really important. And I, I think you can expect to hear more about this uh, in the days ahead. Right. Well, we're all looking forward to that eagerly. Um, I know we've talked a lot about uh, the importance of specialist integration into these models, but as we all know, many specialists do very well financially under fee-for-service structures. So how do you bring specialists and specialty practices under accountable care or value-based payment arrangements? Yeah, Dora can speak to this as a physician herself, but I think, you know, most providers, they want to do what's best for their patients. And the current fee-for-service payment system doesn't allow them to always coordinate care to help manage patient and family needs across, you know, important transitions from the hospital to the home, for instance, or to provide more longitudinal care um, for beneficiaries with chronic conditions. And value-based care and payment models aim to realign those incentives for all providers. And in today's theme, and to realign those incentives across primary and specialty care so that providers are able to do those things for their patients. Um, over the past year, we've conducted research on how beneficiaries, but also providers view value-based care. And on the provider side, while most have heard the term value-based care, some see real downsides because of 
issues like implementation burden, the potential for financial risk, and, and honestly, the lack of experience with value-based payment models. So I think we have to address these issues and then create long-term incentives for specialists to move from fee-for-service to value-based payment. And to be able to demonstrate how that movement to value-based payment provides the flexibility and the support to meet their patients' needs. And so in terms of how we can do that in our models, we can examine incentives for specialists to join an, an accountable entity. We're also considering the different types of ACO structures and how we may engage specialists in both hospital-based and physician-led ACOs through different um, quality and financial incentives as well. Um, and then sort of building on that, can you discuss how you see the role of financial risk for specialists uh, or models in which specialists participate in the future? Yeah, I guess I would just say that the end goal is not to assume financial risk, but to use financial incentives, including risk, to support care transformation for beneficiaries, to support alignment across providers and settings and to support accountability for quality and outcomes. And so we wanna make sure that as we are designing models, we're supporting care transformation early so that providers can assume appropriate levels of financial risk over time. Okay. Um, I wanna switch and talk a little bit about equitable access. I know both of you have emphasized that and that's a big priority for the agency. Um, and the Innovation Center has placed a significant marker on embedding health equity in every aspect of its models and increasing focus on underserved populations and recently advanced this goal with the redesigned ACO REACH model. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how can CMMI's approach to specialty care support more equitable access to specialty care? Sure. Uh and I just, if, if we're talking about equity, I have to start off by, uh, by acknowledging the in, incredible work by the HEAT, uh, the Health Equity Advisory Team that's uh, part of the LAN under the leadership of Marshall Chen and Karen Dell. Uh, they have just really helped to influence the thinking in the broader ecosystem and certainly uh, our thinking at CMI as well in terms of understanding some of the priorities and possibilities uh, for achieving health equity. Um, so taking a big step back, uh, as Purvis started off this conversation, uh, she mentioned that advancing health equity was one uh, our second uh, objective within our strategy refresh. Uh, and I think even within that bucket, uh, there's four areas of focus um, that I would uh, briefly mention today. The first is really thinking about for our new models, and for even possibly some of our current models that may have a second cohort or other phase, that how do we make sure we are uh, embedding equity in the model design and implementation? And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And the second area is we've acknowledged um, that we have to do a better job serving the full diversity of our beneficiary populations in our models. Uh, we want to see uh, racial and ethnic groups. We want to see those that are disabled. We want to see those uh, in rural areas as well as urban areas. We want to see those defined by sexual orientation, gender identity. We want all of that to be fully reflected in our models. And part of our early, uh, part of our first um, strategy to improve the diversity of beneficiaries in our models is to uh, increase the number of safety net and Medicaid uh, providers in our models. And so that is a really important area of, of work and one that you'll uh, hear more about as well. 
And the third area of focus is evaluation. Uh, I think Purvis said earlier something sounding kind of basic. I would say evaluation uh, sounds kind of basic, um, but we have acknowledged that in our first 10 years, we weren't always asking the question about what is the health equity impact of our models? Um, and if you don't ask the right questions, you're not collecting the right data early enough. So at the end of the model, uh, you're able to evaluate uh, the impact on health equity. So that is uh, a third area of intense focus. And finally, the fourth area focuses on data. We've talked about data quite a bit, um, but really we want to make sure we're collecting uh, sociodemographic data um, that can inform um, our model evaluation uh, as we um, certainly even monitor our models, evaluate our models, uh, thinking about models moving forward, having the right data is, is just critically important. So if in the context of specialty care then, how, how does that align with our focus on equity? And uh, really they, they track along uh, quite well. I mean, first, if we look at our specialty models at a high level, a question where even at the outset, we're asking ourselves, uh, will our new specialty models that we invest in, will they have relevance to populations facing inequities and in care and outcomes? Uh, and as an example of that, uh, we know uh, kidney models as one example, they disproportionately affect race and ethnic populations. Uh, kidney uh, end stage renal disease requires significant specialty care. Uh, and as we improve the care that individuals with end-stage renal disease uh, through our models, that will certainly disproportionately benefit uh, racial and ethnic populations. Uh, as another example, our new uh, cancer model, our new enhancing ecology model, uh, within it, cancer is a focus. Uh, you know, questions like, would any of the populations um, facing inequities, what cancers uh, might disproportionately affect them. I mean, colorectal, uh, colorectal cancer is a, is a prime example. Um, there are other cancers that disproportionately affect racial groups such as multiple myeloma. So really even thinking about at the outset, is a model, does it have relevance? And then within, once we decide to go down a certain track, how are we making sure that model addresses priorities of concern for, uh, for underserved groups? And I think, I also think, even as you move forward and you start to think about, okay, this is the area we're gonna tackle. What about the model design? What are the model elements that can also help to address equity? I mentioned EOM, our enhancing ecology model already, but I, I think it's a prime example of how we're thinking about model design. Um, this model will provide an increased per beneficiary per month payment for enhanced services for caring for complex patients. Uh, similarly, if you think about model design elements, we could point out the ACO REACH model. Uh, it will test a health equity benchmark adjustment for providers serving a disproportionate share of underserved populations. Um, so we're excited when we think about the new models uh, to really start at the very front end to think about what the potential uh, elements might need to be, what the potential impact may be on uh, the health of certain populations uh, at the outset when we have a, uh, the opportunity to uh, improve the model designs and concepts. Um, and then if you think about specialty models, again, our second area of focus is bringing in uh, the full diversity of beneficiaries, uh, in part by bringing safety net Medicaid providers. Um, we are signaling that we want to recruit providers with experience serving underserved patients in our models. 
Uh, and as one example of how we try to do that uh, for our ACR reach model was that one of the selection criteria uh, was asking applicants about your experience caring for underserved communities. What's, what's your track record? What have you done? And so I think that that, uh, that uh, approach, certainly whether for primary care or specialty care will increasingly be uh, one example of how we're trying to bring in the right providers. Uh, the third area of focus, evaluation, we uh, certainly across all of our uh, models, I think Perver touched on episodic, our bundled payments models, really just trying to understand uh, what the overall impact has been, but also, again, for these specific uh, sociodemographic groups that what we've seen from our early evaluations, the experience is sometimes different, and we need to better understand that. So we, again, we understand uh, how we need to improve the model moving forward. And then the data, it's always about the data. Uh, and just as um, for our primary care models, certainly for our specialty models, we are requiring new model participants to collect and report demographic data and social needs data when feasible. This will help with our model monitoring and assessing how well we are addressing gaps in access and quality of specialty care. And on the data piece, we know that this can be difficult. At the CMS Innovation Center, we are absolutely trying to facilitate this data collection reporting. Uh, as a couple of examples, we are working on fire-based questionnaires that can help providers screen their patients. Uh, we are also working on both high-tech mechanisms, uh, such as data extraction from EHRs, as well as low-tech mechanisms, such as use of Excel files uh, to obtain this data. Because we know that our model participants, depending on their resources, their settings, they will have different levels of capacity, different levels of technological abilities uh, that uh, are needed to, uh, to accommodate our, our data goal. So, so across these four areas of focus, again, thinking about model design elements, thinking about how to be, recruit more uh, safety net providers to uh, reach our goals and beneficiary diversity, thinking about evaluation, thinking about data across all of these areas of focus, we think that by the time uh, we look uh, in 2030, do our next uh, strategy refresh that we will have seen that we've been able to move the needle uh, with regards to access and quality of care for underserved populations. Um, so I'll stop, stop there uh, and thank you again, again, for asking the questions and being able to do this in partnership with the HEAT has really just helped us uh, do our work better internally at CMMI. Great. Well, listeners, we're all out of time. Um, Dora and Porvar, thank you so much for joining us today and for such an enlightening conversation. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. For all of you listening, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this conversation, follow us on your favorite podcast platform and keep checking the LAN website for more from our Spotlight on Action series, highlighting the work to advance value-based care. This and future spotlights will also be posted on our social media accounts, so be sure to follow us on Twitter at payment underscore network and on LinkedIn by searching for the Healthcare Payment Learning and Action Network.